Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are sadly wrapping up our Folk of the Air series coverage uh, here on this podcast, finishing things off with what is, I guess, known as the Cardin novella. It's actually a short story collection all about our favorite King of Eltham, uh, Cardin. It is called How the King of Eltham Learned to Hate Stories. It's a short, sweet little illustrated book and brings me a lot of joy to read it. And I'm glad we decided to give it its own podcast because I do think there is a lot there to talk about. And uh, it was a, a real treat to get this book last year. Yeah, I remember being like, oh, it's it's a card. Like, I'll read anything in this universe, fine. Um, it's a card novella. It's probably just, you know, like I wasn't expecting much from it, but I remember I read it and I was messaging you and Jesse and I was just like, this, there's so much more here than I was expecting. Like, it, it was just completely delightful and, yeah. and just really like a really good look into, into Cardin's head. Yeah, no, I really loved it. And, you know, I think we're going to dispense with some of our, normal features here on the podcast a because this is a shorter book so it's not really like a true book episode and b because doing these episodes back to back to back does not allow for a lot of time for other things here and neither of us have obsessions to talk about then i guess c is also we're also not going to talk about quick book summary here because it's short stories and we'd just be here all day so we're just not going to talk about those we're just going to dive right into the discussion Again, it's our podcast, our rules. It's yeah. that should be um, a mug we make. Uh, one of the things I actually like low key love about this novel, which I forgot about, is at the very end, there's a reference to uh, Knives Out. That's the movie yes. that they watched. And so I love instead it. of the My House, My Rules mug, we should make podcast or our podcast, our rules. We should totally do that. That would be a good one to have. Uh, but yeah, that's just like another lovely little glimpse into the mortal world here. And I guess that's a good way to talk about the structure of the book. Cause I love how it's framed as kind of a retrospective of Cardin and Jude going into the mortal ro- world to do some mercenary type task. That is certainly not something Jude needs to do anymore. Given that she's yeah. the queen, but of course she wants to do because she's Jude and Cardin thinking about how he can't believe his good fortune can't trace the path that got him here, but that's kind of what the all the short stories do. I really love, um, like you said, like the framing of that uh, being told in these three stories with him and uh, what's her name, Aslog or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, yeah, the troll. And how it how it's uh, really representative of like each of these major stages in Cardin's life, like his youth and then um, like his childhood and then his young adulthood where he's like really coming into his like shitty shittiness. Um, Mm -hmm. and then the aftermath of that, like him with Jude and how, yeah, just how, how representative each of those stories is, is of Cardin and where he is in that time. Yeah. It's a really, really cleverly done, uh, set up by Holly and interspersed with stories and vignettes from Cardin's own life that just really fill in. Not that there were gaps in terms of his, character from the series but it just gives us way more of his personal insight I literally wrote the first 
story, like after the framing device of how they're flying into the mortal lands is many times in his first nine years, Prince Cardin slept in the hay of the stables when his mother didn't want them in their suite of rooms. And I said, one sentence in and I'm crying in the club. Like you just really get (laughs) like day one baby Cardin and how just mistreated he was and how awful that was. And that's the the first time that, uh, what's her name comes to him and tells mm-hmm. him the story. And it's just, it's yeah, really sad. Another thing I really loved about, um, these like little retrospective stories was getting the background on him and Nikasia. Mm. I thought, uh, that development was really good. How like they first connected because they both despised empty flattery and, how neither of them really wanted to be there. And they both felt kind of like, um, excuse the pun, like fish out of water, right. Um, Mm -hmm. in, in this court situation in Elfheim and, uh, just like their, their general coldness and contempt for everything. Um, and how like they genuinely cared for each other. Like they really did love each other. And that was something that I forgot to talk about in the last episode of, uh, queen of nothing was, I really love that moment at the end with uh, Nikasia and Jude kind of confronting each other and just really having like a conversation about how they both really deeply cared for Cardin and and that bonded them. Yeah. And so I really loved seeing that the early stages of him and Nikasia here. Yeah. I really like that too. And then I really like how he handles the Nikasia and Locke revelation at the end and how he's just like, Balkan tells him, you know, you need to stick with Nikesha. I don't know what you've done to lose her favor, but you need to get it back because we need the undersea on our side. And she's a big part of that. And Karen's like, nah, he's like, younger, I will. <laughs> and it's kind of a nice moment, a nice like pre Jude moment of Cardin kind of sticking up for himself a little bit. And he continues to be like a huge dick after that. And Nikesha comes to him in that moment is like, you know, Locke likes one of the mortal girls, like let's torment them. And that leads into the scene from the first book of her being in the river. And, uh, Mm -hmm. it kind of feeds his cruelty in that moment. But, uh, I, that's one good moment. I think of some of these harder stories to read about Cardin where he kind of like sticks up for himself. One of the things that really struck me, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I love all like the Nikesha stuff. And it, it's funny how like in a book where obviously I'm such a Jordan simp, like I'm so obsessed with them. I don't mind getting this backstory with Nikesha though, because like, it's really important to understanding who he is and the different the difference between that relationship and him and Jude. And I think it's really good too, is just like a foundation for friendship between him and Nikasia. Like I have hope, like, you know, the way that she really showed up for them in the end of Queen of Nothing. Um, I have hope for the future of that, of that relationship, just being a friendship because they did have a strong friendship foundation here. Yeah. But I was going to say one of the things that I'm like super interested in this time around, or that I was like super gripped by was just like what a number of Alkin does on him. Like we know that he beats him, which is terrible, but really you see the seeds of this superiority complex that Cardin has that doesn't necessarily exist just because he's the son of the high King, but like this awful, awful scene where Balkan makes him makes this glamored human servant, Margaret beat Cardin. So Cardin will always remember that he had this moment where he was like, laid low essentially by a mortal. And that is just, it's devastating to read obviously, but 
it really gives a lot of good like framing to how he perceives Jude then as a mortal in this world. And then also just like leads directly into him, you know, feeling like and putting on the show, right? The show of being the villain. Like when he returns Margaret to the mortal world, he looks at her and thinks to himself, I am not weak. Do not dare pity me. It is you who should be pitied mortal. It is you who are nothing while I am Prince of fairy. And so like you see totally in that moment, why, why Balkan did what he did. Cause it worked on Cardin because now Cardin has this like huge insecurity there, but then how that carries it over to every interaction he has with Jude and why he like looks at her all the time and is like, how dare you like fight so hard to belong here when you're nothing. Um, it's just, it's fascinating. It's very well done. And it's not just like totally black and white. She's immortal there. Therefore I hate her. It's like a product of this like psychological warfare that his brother paid with him. And it's hard to read, but it's just so interesting. Yeah. Um, like Bilkin, he says that thing where he's like, you know, I want you to know how low humans are. Like they're so low, but I also want you to think of that every time I have one of these lowly creatures beat you, like you're even lower than that. And I just think it's all, it's all so good, like so complex and rich that like Cardin takes Margaret and he takes her back to the human world. And part of it is like, it's not 100% like a kindness that he's doing for her. It's also not 100% a kindness he's doing for himself. It's some weird combination of this. Like he he pities her as much as he pities himself for all of this. And you see him like even when he first gets there and he notices just how like dead in the eyes all of these mortals look that are serving Bilkin. And he immediately thinks about how the twins, how Jude and Taryn, like they don't have that like they're full of life and he thinks about Jude in particular scornful and alert awake alive and how and how that's contrasted with with all these other humans that Bilkin has under his under his thumb yeah I love that moment because it's like you see Jude like already seeing through his bullshit which he thinks later too like she's the only one who looks at me like she can like cut through Mm -hmm. the different layers of me but no wonder he hated her (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But he thinks too, like imagined her as a mindless servant and felt a rush of something he couldn't quite untangle horror and also a sort of terrible relief. No ensorcelled human could look at him as she did. So like that really like lays the groundwork too of this, what he later refers to his resentment. You know, he looks at her and says, what was the point of her trying so hard? Why would you work like that when it would never win her anything? He had never tried like that for anything in his life. So he's got this like mortal girl who's seeing through the bullshit veneer of this villain that he puts forth. And like, it's, it's such a good groundwork for like why he hates her and resents her so much. Cause it it's, she's just literally the opposite of everything that he's trying to combat. That's been like instilled in mm. him. And I just, <laughs> Oh God, <laughs> good stuff, Holly. I also love that the fixation on her ears started so early. Oh my God. It's one of the first thing he notes about her. It's, it, it, it is the first <laughs> thing. It literally says the odd curve of her ear was the fr- was what he noticed first. And then she's just like, kill me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally wrote that in the notes. Like, just kill me. Because it's, oh God, again, a specific body part. 
fixation. Yeah, we really we, we love do. a fixation. Yeah. <laughs> we really do it in a non-creepy way. It's just I I love his fascination with just like the mortality of her. And there's just the, like beautiful poetic moments too. It's not just like the skin deep, you know, fascination with like what her mortal body is like, although he thinks about that too, but he thinks about how like solid she is. Mm-hmm. And then he says takes it was up place. Yeah. yeah. And he says it was only later that it has disturbed him to think back on the shape of her boot in the soil as though she was the only real thing in a land of ghosts. And it's just like, she's just a <laughs> solid force in his life. I'm already, I made it what, 10 minutes for him all to I know. Oh God. It's, it's so much, but yeah, I just, I really love how Jude really pushes through like that veneer. Like I said, and Mm-hmm. You know, him in this book, you really see, we got this in the main series too, like the origin of this cruel facade that he put on and why he did that and how much more interesting it is to, to do that and how it made him seem like a good member of court. Cause that's kind of how the fairy role and, you know, villains were wonderful before they got what was coming to them. They got to be the fairest in all the land. Being the villain was the only thing he ever excelled at. Like, it's just like a really good place for him to be in until it's not as we Mm -hmm. saw in the main series and it's just it 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 all just really colors in the character in such a a beautiful way in a way that really makes a lot of sense and one of the things though that I particularly love though is this uh from one of the, the the very last story that he tells the troll is that stories can justify anything. It doesn't matter if the boy with the heart of stone is a hero or a villain. It doesn't matter if he got what he deserved or if he didn't. No one can reward or punish him, save the storyteller. And I just really liked that when you think about perhaps how some people might have an issue still with Cardin at the end of this story. And it just feels like a nod from Holly to be like, your mileage may vary on this guy. And that's okay. Because yeah. Cardin in that moment, I don't think is asking for forgiveness or saying that any of the good things that he does erase any of the past sins that he's committed. Um, and you as the consumer or the, in our case, or the storyteller in, in the story that he's weaving in that book, you're the one who gets to judge and makes, make that judgment. And, you know, obviously it's very clear where we came out, but I, I like that like recognition that it's like complicated. It's not black and white. There's no complete absolution for him. And I think that's kind of important to acknowledge. Huh? I forgive him personally. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, it, it definitely works for me. Um, it works a ton for me. <laughs> Cardin in the modern human world. It's all so good. Um, first of all, I love all of his. I, I love first of all that this whole novella is basically just Cardin simping for his wife. Um, we love to yeah. see it. Uh, but just all of his small Jude observations, like her willingness to kind of throw herself at everything, and he says even without the look, he ought to know her answer. Of course, she wants to fight it, whatever it is. She feels as though she has something to prove at all times. Feels as though she has to earn the crown on her head over and over again. And like, that's absolutely true. And I love that he sees her so well. Um, I love them sharing a little twin bed <laughs> and just that card. And like, she's like, oh, you must miss your big palace. And he's just like, no, not at all. You, our boy can't lie. 
Yeah. He, he really loves it. No, it's super sweet going out for dumplings, like watching mm-hmm. a movie. And like, he thinks about how he like understands it, but he doesn't like, and how he's just kind of still will always be disconnected. I really love the scene where he goes to get the map and he's so proud of himself for thinking he convinced <laughs> like, them. He's cute. I pass as human. So and he's, he's just ridiculous. And it's, it's so sweet. Yeah. I also love that he like, I mean, of course he trusts Jude to be able to handle the situation herself, but he does it without saying anything to her because he feels that connection to, to the troll woman, even though she <laughs> tries to kill him, but um, he's still like, he knows throwing Jude at the situation is just like, that's the end of that. But um, yeah. you know, he, he feels that connection with the troll woman and, and wants to think he wants the chance to either hear another story or tell another story. The, the, soul deep level of understanding that they have in each other at the end there is just it's really good and what's special about this book is seeing from his pov all the little moments along the way that got them there i mean we obviously get that from jude throughout the series but we've always said that carden is a, a few steps ahead of her on their relationship journey and we see that here too like how early he's battling the feelings for her and it's just <laughs> It's a, it's a lot and I like it a lot (laughs) for such a short story. It it really packs such a punch. And the illustrations, I mean, are just gorgeous. (laughs) It's so beautiful. I, oh my God, I like it just flipped open and it's, um, Cardin with a dumpling and boba tea. (laughs) I love it so much. He's looking at it like, what is this? I just really recommend if you have a chance to pick up a copy or check it out from your local library that you do because it's gorgeous. My Barnes and Noble edition has some like samples of like the different mock-ups that they had for Cardin to begin with and the the different conceptualization for cover. And it's just, it's, it's just really cool to hear all of this here and like sketches of like the very last um, illustration where Jude comes to save him and like different versions of that and how they change it along the way. It's all just, it's really good. One of the things that notes here from Holly is like, what I love about this last sketch is how clearly we are able to see their emotions rendered in so, so few lines. I love the wry line of Cardin's mouth as though he's a little amused by what happened, but also a little chagrined. And I love that Jude has angry eyebrows, but the tiny turned up corner of her lip and the softness of her hand on his face indicate her exasperated affection. It's like, that is literally that care and details in every single drawing in this, mm-hmm. in this book. And it's, it's great. Yeah, it's a gorgeous book and it's it's also told in I mean obviously like the there's actual fairy tale type stories in it the stories that uh Azog is telling Cardin and the one that he tells her but also um just the whole thing even in in the modern like the current storyline that is happening throughout this novella is told in a very like old fairy tale kind of way and and that combined with the illustrations and stuff it just it's a beautiful book to have if if you're the type to want to go buy books. This is a beautiful, just like collector's yeah. piece. And when I just realized too, as you were laying it out that way in like an old fairy tale sense, that's how this book feels. It's so fitting, right? For the card and book to be that way. Oh yeah. Cause he's the king of fairy and we've got mm-hmm. Jude mortal. Her, her writing is, is uh, the, the writing from her POV is much more like 
what we're accustomed to is Jesse pointed out in the last episode, uh, where she says like, maybe we'll make out a little, if he's up for it, like it's yeah. Jude is an, a mortal teenager in many ways. And so, yeah, this is like a perfectly fitting book for our, our fairy boy. Superlatives. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking like, I don't, you know, it's just good, good stuff. Yeah. Short, no, it's good really, stuff. it's short. It's, it's tasty. It packs a punch. It's real good. And of, but of course we have like a million quotes. And stuff, yeah. The, so. Uh, all right. So let's go back and forth on quotes here. Right. Said we each have four. <laughs> I know I counted that. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So this is from Oak and Carden at the end when they go to get dumplings in Carden has tried to sip of everyone's boba tea and taken a bite of half of every dumpling. And what a goes, you can't eat some of a dumpling and put it back. That's revolting. Cardin considers that villainy takes many forms and he is good at all of them. Precious. I know. I so can't even funny. stand it. All right. All right. Okay. Some might think of him as a strong draft burning the back of one's throat, but invigorating all the same. You might bake to differ. So long as you're baking, he doesn't mind a bit. Beautiful. I liked that. <laughs> liked a lot. Liked everything a lot. This one is towards the end when Cardin sneaks out at the end and he realizes that Jude was going to sneak out first before him. And that's why they came with no knights. And he's like, not, uh-uh, I'm going to pull one over on you. But this is what he thinks. Marriage means sharing each other's interests. And since his wife's run towards strategy and murder, he's used to her throwing herself at absolutely everything that crosses her path. Just like love that moment of recognition. And it's just very fun. Like such a funny, frank uh, assessment of like, yeah, that's what she's into. And mm-hmm. I'm going to share those interests now too. And I just love any chance that he has to refer to Jude as his wife. It's a yeah. small thing. And I just love it every time. You know. <laughs> All right. This is uh, Cardin once again, thinking about Jude. Uh, she wants to fight monsters and she wants him for a lover. The same boy she fantasized about murdering. She likes nothing easy or safe or sure. Perfect. Perfect. Girl. Yeah. Um, I love this. This is in the very last story where Cardin is the one to tell the third version of the story of the boy with the heart of stone. And I just, I love this. Do you know why the folk can tell stories? We who can never tell a lie. How can we do it? Because stories tell a truth, if not the truth. And I just love that as again, the framing device of this whole uh, novella and the, the three different versions of this story that we have and how all these parables really do all contain a kernel of truth specifically about Cardin's life and good writing, Holly. Yeah. I'm noticing too, the, uh, a pattern here of, we tend to very much like stories that are about stories and this is, yeah, this is one of them. Yeah. We'll probably never talk about it on this podcast because it's definitely not YA, but we both desperately love, um, Starless Sea. Starless Sea, thank you. <laughs> I'm tired. I, it's exactly what I was. I was like looking at it in my head, like my mind's mm-hmm. eye, but I couldn't say the name. Starless Sea, which is such a story within a story within a story. Beauty. Okay. He did once raise an isle from the bottom of the sea. He wonders if he ought to remind her of that. Wonders if she had been impressed. <laughs> Our boy's got magic tricks. Mm-hmm. We like it. He's like, do you think she saw that? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is my last one too. This is the very last part of the story that he tells in the end. Everyone finds different lessons and stories, I suppose, but here's one having a heart is terrible, but you need one anyway. 
I love that quote. It's like <laughs> the Garden Green Briar story. He has a heart <laughs> now. Like he can't. Like the parallels in that story too of like the monstrous girl and like the boy with the heart of stone. It's just it's too much for mm-hmm. me. It's just perfect. I think you have iron poisoning, she tells him, which could possibly be true, but it's still a hurtful thing to say when he is making perfect sense. To the last, yeah, he must be a brat. Uh, yeah, he is a brat. And that's why we love him. Fair character and arc. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> that would be really weird if it was anything else. Yeah. Uh, okay, soon. All right, I'll go first because I have two. Okay. This is also from the story that he tells the end. She really liked it, apparently. My favorite chapter of the book. And so the monster girl and the awful boy with the clever tongue marry, and she gets to stay powerful and monstrous, and he gets his own heart back, all because he took a chance. <laughs> we basically had the same reaction, just a bursting, <laughs> bursting right now. <laughs> like, I'm just too much so love in my heart. I want to destroy something. Proud of him. I'm so <laughs> proud of him. I'm going to cry again. I cried on our Queen of Nothing episode. I'm going to cry again because I just. I have so many feelings about these two. It hurts me. Okay. Just read your next one. (laughs) Okay. So this is when he uh, has turned the tables on Aslog and he says, and you think it was sunrise I was waiting for and not my queen. Do you not hear her footfalls? She has never quite managed the trick of hiding them as well as one of the folk. Surely you've heard of her, Jude Duarte, who defeated the red-capped Grimamog, who brought the court of teeth to their knees. She's forever getting me out of scrapes. Truly, I don't know what I would do without her. Any chance that he gets, first of all, to like list his wife's accomplishments, um, also to use her as a threat to other people, but also just he is the king of the simps. It's just so much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But this is what like kind of breaks me at the end too, because like obviously Cardin's very into her murder side. We get a lot of that in this book, um, but this is what he says to her at the end. He like says that he comes like really close to her and he gets really quiet. He definitely is iron poisoned. And so he's starting to fade a little bit, but he goes, there is one thing I did like about playing the hero, the only good bit. And that was not having to be terrified for you. <laughs> like he will never like this is kind of standing in her way a little bit but it's also kind of trying to one up her so it's not like mm-hmm. he's really sneaking out to like be like i must you know def- defend yeah. my wife like he's just like no i have this connection to this person and i'm gonna go out jude you think you can pull one over at me but <laughs> he doesn't protect you. the troll not jude <laughs> like let's be real really that's what he's does. doing he really does but like the fact that like he can really love and appreciate that whole part of her but like still admit that he just makes him nervous that just reminded me of of another quote that I had highlighted that um, I forgot to mention but when I think it's the second story that she's telling him when he's like a teenager already and he thinks like she's telling him the story about, you know, the, the, the boy being terrified of the monster or whatever. And he says, ah, but without the terror, surely it had not half the savor he returned. And then she says, I think that says more about you princeling than about the boy. Like, and that is she's like, she really came for his kink there. Like his, what he, him being 
terrified of Jude, but being turned on by that is just, it's, it's him all over. And even from like before, before Jude, Jude. he had those. Well, and it's like, but he's already like in that moment, like thinking a lot about Jude and spending time thinking about her. And like, he it's, it's I love that like from his subconscious in that moment but yeah mm-hmm. no we both like definitely did write that down and like leave it to us to like save like the kinky thing for that <laughs> yeah like we've always got to throw a little bit of, of something in there you're nothing if not on brand so <laughs> uh it's just like it's a real a real charmer of a novella I, I'm glad we took some time to actually like talk about it instead of shoehorning it into the last episode because it has some good stuff there that deserves its own spot. Again, mm-hmm. we just really can't recommend it enough. Um, if you want more of our favorite Perry King, I just also love the idea of him to go back to uh, Carton in the mortal world. Like he always is so like costumed and he thinks at one mo- moment too, like this is the simplest costume he has ever donned, but he's basically just wearing like skinny jeans and like a hoodie. <laughs> and like but he refuses to take the rings off i'm like okay so you would be like something out of a fever dream for me is what i'm reading i know i was saying that too because we know that Cardin is what like six four or something like outrageously wow. tall uh if i saw that man walking down the street like With black curly hair jesus christ gold ringed eyes <laughs> he wouldn't need to glamour I me i would just be yeah, glamour no, yeah yeah. It's just like instant. Anyway. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> okay, uh, this like- has taken a thirsty turn. I think we need to go uh, have a large glass of water and uh, sit down and think about our choices. Oh, pour some water on myself here. Um, <laughs> you know, no, it's good we get this out here now because I guess we'll have a few announcements here towards the end. Um, we mentioned on our last episode, but one of the things we're going to do at the end of the year is we're going to do a whole episode dedicated to our bookish faves of the year, book boyfriends, favorite books, favorite students, things like that. We typically on those episodes, like at least we typically, we did this one other year. We are one year old. <laughs> like we, we talk more in the, that episode about not necessarily things we covered on the podcast, but things we just read in 2021 that we haven't covered here necessarily. And since this is an older reread for us, I don't think we'll have a chance to talk about Cardin and Jude again. Yeah. I mean, we'll slip it in. I mean, we are who we are. I think we decided not to count rereads last time. Isn't we, that how true. That yeah, yeah, that is how I went last year. So like, let's get it all out now. But yeah, on that yeah. note, that'll be coming at the end of the year. And we've just got a handful of episodes left between now and then, and then we will end with that episode. But what we're also hoping to for that episode is maybe do like a little mailbag, a little question and answer. So we'll post on our stories at some point on Instagram too, between now and then. But if you have any questions for us that you'd like us to maybe talk about on the podcast and that episode in particular, we'd love to hear from you at actyagepod at gmail. Dot com. You can also find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at ActYourAge. You can choose the DM there as well. Uh, Tasia, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at RagyCakes. And I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. Next week or in a couple of weeks after when this comes out, I uh, can't keep my my day straight here. Sometimes, not a, a Friday. Weeks, yeah. One on day. a Friday in November. 
check out our next episode, which will be Redemptor by Jordan Fuego. This is the sequel, the final book in the duology, Ray Bear, which we covered earlier this year with friend of the pod, Aubrey, who will be returning to join us for that episode. We're super excited about that because that book came out in August and we loved it a lot. And it's a real good, really, really good YA fantasy series, y'all. Yeah, if you haven't, oh yeah. No, I think I was just going to say the same thing. You were. We're always on the same page, Jason. I saw you say it. Uh, if you haven't read Ray Bearer or Redemptor yet, you are truly sleeping on what is uh, one of my favorite series now, our duologies. It is, it's incredible. Please read it. Don't sleep on this. Uh, I think it's also going to be a TV show. Netflix? It is. Yeah. She signed with Netflix. Uh, it's always fun to be a good smug book reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely recommend checking out. And, you know, we see our metrics here on this podcast, like what episodes do really well and which ones don't. And that is frankly one of our lower downloaded episodes. And it makes me really sad just because it mm-hmm. means to me that that book, despite the fact it is a New York Times bestselling series, it doesn't seem to have found its way into the hearts of, of fandom, fandom in quite the same yeah. way yet. So I just, I really love it a lot. I'm still like desperately looking for our promised pre-order swag, which apparently included an NSFW print of my book boyfriend of the year, probably. Uh, oh, yeah, where is it? Sure. Where is it? I need yeah. it. So the fandom uh, groundwork is there for that series. It has a lot of things that we love to talk about. Uh, so we're just going to plug that series again here. You got some time to read that book and then come back for the sequel episode because the sequel is just chef's kiss. That was me yeah. making. I made it great <laughs> We tend to do that a lot on this, uh, the the chef's kiss um, that is not translated to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get out of here. Yeah, I think we're ready to go. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) In that note, friends, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.